Hola, thank you for streaming or downloading the 1730 podcast. I'm Tsepo Pule, and with this podcast miniseries, I'm documenting COVID-19 stories from regular South Africans. This podcast has evolved from being about my journey and struggles in dealing with retrenchment to highlighting stories of survival and triumph within the backdrop of a global pandemic. If this is your first time listening, please start with episode one to three to get a picture of how we got here. In this episode, I'm catching up with a friend of mine. Well, actually a very good friend of mine. Injayam Fede. Direct translation, my dog for life. Sromzi and I met in high school 21 years ago. He is the guy that introduced me to my wife, Utesa. I featured Tessa in episode one. In short, without Saul, I doubt we're here today. Besides that, this dude is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever known. In the last episode, part one with Saul, we discussed how he came to get COVID and how he dealt with it. If this is your first time catching this podcast, please listen to episode four first. It'll give you background and perspective to this episode and this conversation. Here's a snippet of how Saul first felt the effects of COVID. So ultimately, I think that's where I got COVID. Because a week later, then I started feeling funny. We'll be chilling at home. The heater's on, you know, it's cold, it's June. But I'll be feeling like I'm in cold iced water. I couldn't taste anything, couldn't smell anything. Taste is gone, appetite is gone. I, they made me my favorite foods, meat, everything. I just couldn't eat it, didn't have appetite. I just didn't, all I wanted to do was just sleep. That was part of our conversation, which was episode four. So again, please check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. Today's episode is quite unbelievable. Right. Um, and I say that because I can't wrap my head around it. I don't know how Saul is getting through this thing. He lost three siblings to COVID in a space of one week. Right. And that's just a crazy, crazy thing to think about. For him and his wife to survive COVID and only to lose siblings later was absolutely devastating. We start our conversation by first understanding how many siblings Saul had, what the makeup of his family was or is. And he's going to set it up and give us a perspective, an idea of the last few weeks and the very, very last meeting that him and his siblings were in one place and what led to that moment so there was something else at play that led the siblings to be in one moment at his house for the first time in a long time and this was the last time he would see these three siblings and barring his eldest brother this would be the last time that all siblings were together for the last time in my family we are 10 from my mom i'm the last born the third last born loses his job in bloom due to COVID as well then he decides to go home in rustenburg go stay with my brother my other brother who's unemployed who's who's out there my sister who is a nurse goes to cape town in november visits my brother in cape town and stays there a week she has the best time of her life the second born in the family uh, goes to Eastern Cape accompanying some people for Lobola negotiations. Personally, I, I had issues at home. Yeah, I had yeah. a big problem, put like that. So I consulted, you know, asked people that I didn't know how, and I was told with end that uh, these are the ancestors talking to you. Uguchi. You consulted the Africans? Yeah. What did the Caucasians say? Uh, the Caucasians is just peace. <laughs> <laughs> they will go at some point in time. <laughs> you know. But what you don't know is they've been there for since we've moved in. I actually, we moved in mm. in 2018. So they've been there since we moved in. Now it's 
2020, I mean, two years down the line, they still haven't. They would go uh, for like a month and they'll come back. Consulted and uh, I was told, look, these are ancestors talking to you, saying, Guti, in, uh, in my language or in my culture, this closer is that ma, ma umova kumele ubike ums. So I'm told you guti and bikanga ums. So abantabatala abayasba ndipi. Yeah. Or banfuna. Banfuna everywhere. Mm. That's why they are there. Yeah. So now I had to do umkombuti. And in doing umkombuti, obviously talk to them to inform them guti, I'm here. This is where I now reside. I'm going to take a bit of a short left or a detour and move away from Saul for a bit. But the story will come together in the end. Make sure that you're always paying attention. Now Saul mentioned that he had a bee problem and therefore he had to go and consult. To the layman, bees are bees, right? Uh, you sort them out and move on. Saul did that as well. However, this bee situation had a deeper meaning and a direct impact on Saul and his siblings. Now, if you're in a different part of the world or maybe you aren't well versed in African customs or tradition, I brought someone in to clarify this for you. Her name is Ukoko no Zizwe. Essentially, she's a conduit, a facilitator of sorts between this world and their spiritual world. First, we need to understand what African spirituality is, and this is where our conversation starts. I also asked Ukoko what it means to consult in the African sense. So African spiritu- spirituality to me has changed meanings in the sense that before COVID, I had a general understanding of African spirituality being gifted with this, um, the ability to communicate with ancestors. But I think after COVID, having spent time to actually reflect and personalize what um, African spirituality means to me, I've got two, two, two definitions of it. So I think spirituality is a, is, is a human experience. All human beings are spiritual. So for me, spirituality is a universal concept that talks to alignment of your body, mind, and soul, where what you do physically in the physical world, in the operational world, as I like to call it, is aligned with your heart's desire, your soul is happy and comfortable, but also your mind is aligned. So you are happy, you are aligned, you're, you're at peace. African spirituality is how us as black people are aligned with ourselves based on our culture, our traditions, and generally where we come from. Then I think the confusion for me before was African spirituality was often confused with religion, which is different. African spirituality is when black people are at peace with themselves and their identity and their genealogy, where they come from. So they know who their ancestors are, they understand what their ancestors mean in their lives, and they've got a way to communicate with ancestors. So that's what African spirituality is, which is different to religion, which in my sense, you can be a religious person and still practice spirituality in the sense that you then communicate with your ancestors outside of church. When we then say someone consults, this is when someone is not in alignment. Someone feels that their ancestors are trying to reach out to them. Someone who does not have a relationship with their ancestors then would find a, a medium, 
and I'll say medium in the, in the broad sense, someone who knows how to connect with ancestors. So when Usolom says he goes and consults, he went and sought an African person who can communicate with our African spirit um, um, ancestors. So that's what consulting means. As Saul had to consult because of this bee problem, he then had to do umsebenzi, which is a ceremony in honor of the ancestors to communicate and notify them of his whereabouts and let them know about his new home. Now, one could argue that the bees were actually a clarion call for the siblings together. And then we come to bees. Saul is correct when he says that when he went to consult, the person told him that it's the ancestors that are trying to reach out and communicate. Because, again, as black people in our different um, traditions and languages and la- uh, 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 different identities, we've got different ways of communicating to our ancestors, which is unique to each um, culture. So in the Tosa culture, like he says, again, in the Zulu culture, bees symbolize ancestors reaching out for you, either as a good omen in celebration of something good coming or as a bad sign or warning or literally a message to sort of say we need to communicate. That's when Saul would have needed to go to what we typically call Umsamo, which is a, a special place in any black household where you go and communicate with your ancestors. So, like I said, if you are in alignment and you've got a channel to communicate, every family passes it on from family, from, from generation to generation, the knowledge about them Samo and how to actually reach out and communicate to our ancestors. So basically that's what it means. Because Solomzi had moved and not almost invited his ancestors into his household and set up Msamo where he could reach out and communicate with them on a daily basis and whenever things happened, whether good or bad. And that's, that's the good thing. Our ancestors are always with us. They follow us around. They communicate with us. But we also need to communicate with them so that it becomes a, a regular, normalized um, a, a, a relationship. Whereas most people do not have that relationship. So that is why there is a need to communicate with ancestors. I've been on this journey myself at the insistence of my wife to better understand my lineage, my people on both sides, and how I can impact this world through my gifts. We also have two small boys that will soon have the world coming at them. They therefore need to have a firm foundation mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So I think, yeah, therefore it's important that I set up that foundation up front. So Generally, when would people feel the need to consult? And I think in my own personal experience, generally it's when something's amiss, right? So something is generally going wrong in your life. That's when we start asking questions. And for me, it was, I was having trouble at work like a few years ago. So that's what triggered um, the journey and to start asking these questions. And that led to a lot more answers and a lot more understanding of where I come from, where my family's from and what my actual lineage is. Now, for someone listening to this podcast, um, when would they start this journey and why would they? And what's the significance of Umsebenzi? When you move into a new home, when a child is born, when you're about to get married, when there's a death, you invoke or invite ancestors to join or to lead the family in whatever it is that you need to do. So Umsebenzi literally, and there's different rituals for different types of Umsebenzi. Umsebenzi is to invite 
the ancestors to come in work with the family be with the family and guide the family so that whatever it is that they're trying to do is successful and accepted and acknowledged by the ancestors so then you will know after that umsebenzi there will be signs that tell you that umsebenzi uhambe kahle it went well or there's a lack or they're not happy so bees would then been a way of them trying to reach out and strange enough i had a similar experience i know someone personally who who had an experience with bees um during um leading up to covid and it was a similar situation they had moved house and the ancestors were trying to reach out to sort of say please invite us and invoke and accept us to live with you and protect you and go with you wherever you go So when you leave your house you tell your ancestors when you come back you, so your movements are always reported and it becomes a habit and that's how traditionally black people used to live before colonization and it's important to note that it's not as if black people didn't have their own religion before Christianity came so i think that's why for me it's very important to stress there's a difference between african religion which was practiced before Christianity came and when Christianity came one became taboo and we sort of got led away from our norms cultural traditions and our religion and we can talk about religions on a different day but basically african spirituality and african religion are two different things spirituality is just being at peace and in alignment body mind and soul and being able to communicate with your ancestors i think i'll stop there I hope that young conversation with Ugoko was really insightful and helpful to you. I know it was definitely to me and I am hoping to have more conversations like that in later podcasts. Now, Sol is going to take us through the day where him and his siblings were together at his home and this is also the first time they discover that his sister is sick. At this moment, they don't know what it is yet. However, all the signs are there. So anyway, that's why I went and did Lom Sevens in 16 and the reason why I am mentioning this all these three family members of mine that eventually passed on hmm. were they so invited family uh, I didn't want to invite too many people because of the times we were in hmm. so we had mkombo tea and you know nice time and everything my sister is back from cape town she's starting to feel a bit fluish but she was fine my brother was okay both my brothers were okay big thing you know it it was a small thing that turned out to be a big thing and we don't you know we had not been together as a family for a while um the one person who couldn't attend was the first born in the family who normally runs with everything mm. and the reason he couldn't attend he had just gotten back from east london uh via work and he he discovered that day or he got his result that day that he's got COVID. So he decided not to come. None of his family members also came, his wife and kids, which was fine, but everyone else was there. Anyway, so we we go through Msebenzi and it's fine. Wake up the next day. We all are well and, and all of that and, you know, continue to phone each other. Fine. Um my sister was fluish starts getting a bit call it worse or a bit more sick and then um I go see her she's 
vomiting. She's her breathing is fine, but she stays out in Rivoli. She's vomiting. Her kids are there, you know, looking after her. Everyone is wearing a mask and social distancing. She's vomiting. She's got this pretty much the same symptoms that I have, except that she's vomiting. Mm. No appetite, none of this. So I tell her, you know, do this, do that, do that, try this, try this, try this. Take the meds that you brought me, you know, all of that. Uh, you know, being positive, we pray and, you know, now I'm going to be fine, I'm going to be fine. On the 31st of December, and, and, and it's funny how these things happen. I go to the traffic department. I go there to renew my license, but I have not booked on the system or mm. anything. So I get there and Labafana that help out, you know, Abu Nyaupe boys at the gate. He uncle, uncle, uncle. And and for some reason, Chief, I never listen to them or I never ask for their assistance. You know. Um I normally just go to the right thing. Now, for those that don't know, in Johannesburg, practically at every street corner or traffic light, you either have someone trying to sell you something or someone asking for some change or something to eat. We're a country with a very high unemployment rate and a high crime rate, coupled with a corrupt state. Recipe for disaster. Opportunities are scarce. Some people genuinely need help. Some people are out there to do harm. Unfortunately for Saul, he fell victim to the latter. Now, Saul was approached by an individual who claimed he can help him skip the queue at the traffic department. But for this type of scam to work, both parties must be willing participants. On one hand is the criminal, and on the other hand is a citizen that is willing to take shortcuts. In this case, my friend knew what he was doing was wrong. So why go ahead with it? Before you answer that question, here's Saul recounting how he knew for sure he had just been scammed out of 10 grand after he had given money to criminals who claimed they could renew his car disc and bypass his traffic fines. This is the same day that he discovers about the first sibling to pass away. Now, could these two events be related somehow? Him doing something completely out of character and on the same day, someone he loves passes away. I don't know what happened, but for some reason I sang it mm. it's a scam 10 grand but 10 grand yeah so long cash and then I go inside the station it's around 25 past 11 past 11 I meet a station manager at Envid your luck is just 10 grand. There's an Indian guy, Zolam Shaye 50, who owned like a garage and he was coming to pay for the license desk as a garage. And then I'm like, is there a way in Fetu Sngas? The guy, the station manager, tells me the number. Sure. Like, no, And then I'm like, shucks. Something like I've never, like I've never done this before. It's yeah. something I wouldn't do any other day. I literally go straight and pay what I have to pay, do the right thing. For that day, for some reason, I didn't. But you mudise, ah, And then I walk out. Now you can imagine how I'm feeling. 
so the station manager says, please give me a, a lift to Westgate. Then he books for me online mm. to come to my license on, on his phone. Gets my details and he shows me the booking. He forwards it to me like the thing. I've And then as we drive out, I get a call. My brother is late. Mm. Literally at half past 11. You know, you're still in that mindset. And then you get this call, I'm like, it's probably a joke. I just drive, drop this guy off at Westgate. I get home. Mfonela, the one who comes before me, my brother, I'm like, hey man, you phone me. Utin, at Uputemba, Ushil. Zintazenze kengo kwaft past 11. Chief, my whole world just stopped. So this was the second born who was, who carried um seven zwam, nine sixteen, and had gone to a stand camp for Ilovala, got COVID there, we believe. And he was home. Uh, and yeah, he passed on like that. I asked Saul if he thought that subconsciously he knew that something bad had happened in his life and he believes it to be so. But someone else has a different perspective that it wasn't actually subconscious, it was super conscious. And we'll touch on that just now. But here's Saul again explaining how he felt and as to what happened on that day and how he interpreted it. Like in my life, I've never done that. How or why? First of all, it's 31st of December. I'm at the license department at 7. Mm. There is no pressure. or they, Like, my license is expiring that day, but you know you still you get got, 20 yeah. days or so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my driver's license had expired, but the government had came out and said that, you know, we have, I think, have six, six months. months or so. We have six months, yeah. Mm. So my, my driver's license had just expired as well. So there was, like, there was no push. Mm. But somehow I went there on that day and I listened to those boys and I fell into the trap. So it just played out that way. And at that time that it happened, that's the same time that my brother dies. Remember earlier on, I was curious as to why would Saul do something completely out of character? And it just so happens it was the same day that his brother had passed away. And I was asking the question as to how is that link and how does that work? So I brought someone in who understands these things way better than me. Uh, my wife is back, Tessa. She was in episode one. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. And my wife is a teacher, right? And her gift to the world is something that she worked on and she's designed, which is called life design. And basically what it does, it helps you to discover what you want to achieve in life, how you want to live your life, as well as finding the strength to do this. It guides you to find your own answers rather than look for solutions outside of you. This process gives you the ability to think as you never thought before and find your voice. And she's here to give perspective and better understanding as possibly why that was that Saul acted that way on that very same day. It's never easy to speak about death and explain a situation when so many people have been affected by it. But I am a firm believer that those who do die or pass on at the moment of them passing or dying, they are shown or given the option of reflecting on their lives 
and choosing to come back or to stay gone. I believe that there is an overwhelming warm glow of a light that is very receptive to people who have passed on. For those of us who are left behind, it does not spare the pain, the angst, the anguish and the grief of losing a loved one. I'm also of the understanding that we're all vibrating at very specific frequencies. And consciously, what we do is the very last thing in the creative process. So things start as a thought, and then you add emotion to it, emotion becomes action, and action is actually what you live. In Saul's case, if his brother, and it is not a big if, it's a surety, that when his brother was thinking about him in his last and dying moments, he reached out spiritually and emotionally to his younger brother. And not subconsciously, I mean supraconsciously, Salomzi received the message. He got it. And because he didn't know how to accept it, the emotion of denial, doubt, non-believing of it. In that moment when the exchange of energy took place, he then found himself in an unnecessary situation and he made choices out of character, which resulted in jolting him back, right back to life. Because there's nothing worse than being caught out of hard-earned money, number one. But also, when you believe in the law of equilibrium, his need for escaping that what he internally knew was so created a situation where he had to be brought right back to present reality. And the way it played out, it played out in the form of him being um, falling for a trap. Whereas the reality is he was trying to escape a deep knowing and anguish that he knew would come. I've been very fortunate not to have lost a loved one during COVID. I've heard of how tough it has been. And it's been exacerbated by the fact that you can't say goodbye properly. You can't be with friends or family. You can't even hug people. Now, in African culture, funerals are open events. Anyone who is willing and able to attend the funeral is welcome. People come and go at the family home the week before the funeral to pay their respects. None of this could happen during COVID. Life and death had literally flipped over. We pick up our conversation with Saul recalling the horror that awaited him when he went to the hospital to account for his brother's body. This is the first brother. In the midst of getting ready for the funeral, his other brother starts getting ill and has to be sent to the very same hospital where his other brother just passed away. So again, my brother is a priest and the one who comes before me, you know, Mzalwan and attended. MCs a lot of funerals, but it became too heavy for him. He didn't want to go even inside the hospital. So I'm there going there alone. Chief to get there, Utole Umzimba literally Bowery Pile needs to go to the Moshar. And even going into those wards, it's just everyone who's got COVID. And you obviously you've got your mask and everything. In fact, to tell you the truth, when I walked in, there was a lady who was in the first ward on the left, and it still, it still plays in my mind. She passed on when I walked in. Like they were trying to bring her back, but she passed on while I was there. I'm waiting for the nurses, they are all there. <clears throat> and why I stood and looked on, I don't know. She passed on right there. The second one, I went there, my brother is still lying there. This is in the ward? 
Yeah, in the ward at the hospital. Still lying there. Apparently, I can't, the body can't move from there to the mortuary until there's a family member who signs up. So now I get over his cell phones and everything. His clothes are like, no, they must just burn it. Then milling him, tarting him, say, a mortuary. It's a, it's a process. Mm. It's, a, it's a government hospital, so it's, it's a process. If you go here, sign there, sign there. And they're not the most patient people. Mm. So anyway, that was the Friday. This is the Friday, the first. Uh, you know, 31st people go wild and we were just mourning the whole night looking after his wife and just making sure she's fine. And the two boys. Look, they are old enough, 24 and 26, but, you know, they are that tight with their father. Mm. They were that tight with their father. So anyway, sign off the body, come back, you have to bury within three days. Now, we obviously then tell everyone, you know, this is what's happened, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we, we will bury on Sunday. Sure. All right. And then, remember now, my brother was in bloom, is at home. But remember, my, my brother was just died. He's got his own house in, a, in another village, not in where, not where we grew up, not a Kayakul. Okay, okay. Mm, he's got a, his house also in Rustenburg, not far from a Kayakul, but in another village. So he comes up with my other brother, and we are there like the whole time. Now, a day before the funeral on a Saturday, around about this time, 5 p.m. or so, he starts feeling weird. He, he was not himself. Since he came through on Friday, he was, n he was not himself. Mm. He, he's somebody who's very chirpy, very likes to joke and all that. He was just quiet the whole time. Obviously, this had affected him because they were quite close. But now he is quiet, he's not talking, he's, you know, we're trying to talk to him. No, Saturday around this time, he's like, no, my, I can't feel my legs. Oh, shucks, what's happening? Like, I'm dizzy. Okay, what's happening? Anyway, we like, I know. Let's rush you to the same hospital that my, my brother died. This is in Rustenburg. Mm. It's the closest hospital, the closest government hospital. So we rush him there. There, but he, Bamfagagu admission ward. So it's just like an, a ward before they can determine what's wrong with mm. him. Take. It was like casualty. Yeah, casualty is called, sorry. Yeah, so Bamfagagu casualty. Now we've got two of my cousins who work at that hospital. So they were working night shift that day. So mm. they kept on checking with him. And they say, he was talking, he was fine. And not himself, but he was fine. So they took the results, came back the following day. Now, Sunday, we buried this one. So the results come back, Uguti, he's positive, right? But he's fine. Mm. Uh, we chat with him on the phone. And then on Monday, we stay still. We go see him. We couldn't see him, but we speak to the nurse. Now the nurse knows me because I was there. I've been there a few days. They're like, okay, we'll make you that favor. 
don't go anywhere close, just go to his ward, talk to him. Then you spoke to him, like, he was probably in the corner, we were here, like, hey, Ukraine, hey, I'm on right, otherwise on right, and chronics. like speaking normally, it's just that he's like, every now and again, this breathing thing, here in, in the struggle, Shanghai. But other than that, none, right. Fine, that's on Monday. And then on Tuesday, uh, we decide to come back to Joburg. Uh, and we, we drive back. So it's, it's the three of us, it's myself, my brother from Cape Town, and the one who comes before me. Remember, the oldest one couldn't attend. That was the situation with the first brother. Remember, as they were burying the one brother, the other brother was hospitalized. He got worse over a day or so. The funeral was in Kayakulu, which is in Rustenburg. It's about three hours from Johannesburg. After the funeral, Saul drives back to Joburg where he stays. As he lands and tries to get some shut-eye, he gets a phone call. Come back, um, sleep on, on Tuesday. And then at around 1 a.m., I get a call. And then I bought another number, 014. He ignored it first. 1 a.m. I'm fast asleep. But no, but I can't be doing this. phone again. Paul Paul so I'm fast asleep. I'm like, me, am I pale? Will you see the will like I limit discharges? In my mind, the way he was, yeah. Even he said, yeah, bega cream, bega so discharge anytime. Bega cream, I ring a vie. Didn't have anything hectic. Me limit to get the will you see the like, uko kai, uko gating, we me kai, uko retlasa, retlomulata. Konan ar papa kaungulu ne. Paul Utloka Fitz, Graham, Erwak, Arpapa Kibumak. Paul Utloka Fitz, if I thought Toka Falahonan. I just, I'm like, Kelevoham, drop the phone. Then obviously I had to get in the car in the morning with my brother. My brother, my, my one brother's gone back to Cape Town. Now he has to come back. Me and the one who comes before me, we drive there in the afternoon because it was just too heavy. Like, you mm. this can't be happening. Again, we get there, it's too much for him. He can't go in. Again, Same I go process there. again. Same process. This is what, a week later? Mm. It's not, not even. Two. Not even because my one brother died on Friday. This one's died the following Wednesday. Oh. And then we're like, no, man, this is not happening. Get the, the nurses even know me, but I'll Zimba. Hey, same process. You can't leave until somebody signs off. And then I began to be to be to the core. So when they did the post-mortem, but he was more than COVID. And then you had problems. No, because too much about what's just happened. And they say, he didn't want to sleep. They tried to inject him. I'm going sleeping pills. He didn't. But since I feel less pain, zang alal, bang afunulal, atag afunulal, I was over. So, bagat tumbi like when you see his body, just like same process. Go, 
So this was a Wednesday. So we decided with Yazin. So Mfila Kayakulu will bury him on Saturday. So I do all the necessary paperwork, you know, to the undertaker. The undertaker takes him. They'll come through on, on, on Saturday in the morning. One thing you must remember as well, with the COVID body, you can't see it. So when once the person dies, they are sealed. You can't see them. Hmm. So, and even when they come on the day, they they won't enter the yard. They just stop at the gate. Because the whole process, they give you an hour at the cemetery mm. and at home. Mm. So my figure just that Mtandazo, Lapekating, and then you go. There's no speeches, no best friend. You know this thing that you, you know people speak in mm. programs. Probably you can do it before or after, but not during Umzimba Maufiga. You have to go. You can't see the body. You can't see... That's why I show it. Sometimes you don't even know that you're bearing the right body. Asaz. Yeah. You don't see it. Even the the coffin itself, it's wrapped. It's like wrapped, wrapped, wrapped proper. With what? It's very, it's very hard. It's a hard pill to, to swallow, but mm. look, it is what it is. So... After that fateful phone call, fast forward, Sol and his brother are now in Rustenburg and are preparing for the funeral. As they are digging the hole for their brother, something Sol will explain as to why that is. Different cultures, different situations, different hometowns, whatever. But Sol will explain this to you. They receive another phone call about the third sibling, the only girl out of the nine boys. Um, on Friday, the day before he, the day before we lay him to, to rest, we are at the cemetery. So... This is something probably that will be new to you as well. Emakai, Abafana, as in us, go dig the hole. Hmm. There's no kanda kanda or anyone digging the hole for you. The men of the village, they go dig the hole. If Kushonwekiti, we don't dig. Okay. But the village boys dig. But when I go home, there's a funeral, I, I would go hmm. and be part of and it's literally Ipegi, you know, that's that. Um, but when me and my brother had to go, you have to go show them where we want the hole to be dug. Mm. So we have to dig up until to our knees, just the two of us. Okay. We have to hit that. While we were there, we received a call. <laughs> Sorry. From the hospital, my sister is late here in Chobing. You digging? I just saw my brother dropping. I'm like, ah, uh-uh, Indon, maskhumbe fundin. Can Indon? I'm like, I'm like, and you must remember there are other guys around. I need to buy Lindy Tina's desperate. They busy talking and what. And I can see this guy is not driving at agents, and we were almost by the name like agents. Lendo telling at the leg. They're thinking maybe this is too much for him. Mm. Like he's thinking, I'm just, I'm really digging a hole for my brother. But na, I knew that there must be something because it's There's just after news. a call. Mm. I'm like, in doing. Muti kutwa un 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 uchonile ushile na. Yo, you 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 just don't know anymore. Um. By that time, I don't want to lie. She was like, I probably, if I have COVID, I'm not going to I mean, I was at that stage. 
just like uh, it is what it is. Uh, maybe now I must just go. Because your number, you know, I mean, one is bad enough. One is bad enough. Within a space of seven days, three days. Labantu being nabong is 16. That's the last time I saw them in December. When we were chatting, I was like, This is about this is the first week of of the new year. This is the yeah. So the one died on the thirty first. The one died on the fourth. The one died on the sixth. Straight afterwards, that afternoon, we have to then drive back to Rosebank and deal with this for the third Mm. time. Deal with this for the third time. Same thing. Now it was uh, the Friday. She passed on. We buried her on the Tuesday. Yeah, in Job. So. With her, she left a note. I think at some stage, she felt that she was not going to make it. Mm. By the way, she doesn't know about the last death. She knows about she never knew. the first one. She never knew. She knows about the first one mm. that happened on the 31st. And how we know, because we couldn't speak to her, how we know is because of a note she she wrote. And you can see the note even... La Palakone, it's not straight, so she was obviously tiring. It's just, mm. but she she wrote from firstborn to me, and she left us each a note. Mm. Like for me, she said, Please look after my kids. You and the one that comes before me, Umvelili, must look after your kids, make sure that we don't break that bond because we're the closest in the family. Mm. We don't break that bond, we make sure we take care of her kids. And then the one who comes before the, th- the third last born, she wrote, I'll be praying for you in heaven that you get a job, not knowing that it's passed on. <laughs> the second born is like, I know you may be gone, but to your family, please remain strong. I will be with him in heaven. So I think she's r- reached a point where like, I can say I'm not going to make it. Let mm. me write each and every one of them a note. She wrote, she wrote out the note one, and those 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 were the deaths. Um, I remember burying my sister. Uh, so they luckily in Joburg, they allowed us to have a ceremony and whatever. But they we just booked out a hall not far from her house. But the deceased body stayed in the in the car in the mm. house. And my brother had to speak, um, only to find out that he was not going to able to. I think he just greeted people, and then he just broke down from them. So I had to take over and, you know, speak, because we are this close again, because then we were speaking on who she is, what she liked, what she was about, and obviously all her colleagues were there, the nurses and all of that stuff. And, and yeah, and then we, we laid her to, to rest, and that was that. How is Sol and his family getting through this? How do they manage? What kind of feelings and thoughts does he navigate daily? Sol tells me he's getting some counseling through iCares, which is a service provided by his employer at no cost to him and his family. Lucky for him, as he says, he's got a strong network of friends and his larger family is still around. I think what has helped me through this process is the um, assistance of friends, family. Um, I continue to do sessions with ICAS, mm. although it's not the same because it's telephonically. Sometimes you feel like you can be speaking to a person, you know, face to face. Used to before. They used to before COVID, but now we are okay. telephonic 
Chief, I phone Ikez at any time. If I'm not able to sleep, just phone at whatever time. Could be 2 a.m. Phone and just speak to someone on the other end. But it hasn't been easy. Mm. Um, especially, you know, I I'm, I normally make peace when somebody's been ill for a long time. Like, okay, maybe they're better off resting. Mm. Uh, but having said that, this has also channeled me to think differently, to say, you know what, my time in this earth is very limited. Yeah. Therefore, I need to, you know, live it like it's my last day on earth. That's all. Thank you so much for sharing, man. Um, and I'm very, so again, very, very sorry for your loss. Uh, I have no idea what that must feel like. I've never experienced such a thing. Yeah, you know, and I've only seen it through you, and you know we're always here for you guys, my wife and I, and the mm. kids, whatever you guys need. No, I appreciate. But thank that. you for sharing, and that. we hope your words help yeah. some people heal that might be going Hopefully. through this also. Hopefully, you, know, you can't even begin to describe it in words, Chief. It's uh, it's one of those things, Jay. You just like, you just go through the emotions. Like I said, at some point, I was like, I felt like I was dead while I was alive. Mm. Just like going through the emotions. Is this really happening? Why now? Why me? Why? You know, start asking those questions. But then you like, look, I still have my life. I still have my health. You know, so I must be grateful. It's God's doing. It has happened. And there's nothing no one can do to change things. But yeah, no, uh, I I I appreciate that. Appreciate you guys, guys have been there for me. You know, all my friends, family, the little that's left to go from ten kids to five. Because now we're just five brothers. Hmm. You know, when when we met up now in March this year, twenty twenty one, it was just like, uh, are we really just? This is us, guys. Just no parents. There's nothing. This is we are the parents. We are everything for this family. The kids are now looking up to us, as the five of us. You know, so you're just like, okay. Sure. This is it, you know. So yeah, it's it's been it's been a very, very difficult time. But um, like I said, it's yeah. It is what it is. There's no point in sitting in the corner and feeling sorry for ourselves. We need to go out there and yeah, make things work, make the best for our kids. Mm. You know, and try to be, try to be better, try to be a good examples to them, try to bring them up the best way we can. That's all you can do, man. Mm. Sure. Absolutely. Mm. I know it might be depressing, Chief, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much to Usolom Zizimba for allowing me to tell his story. It's quite incredible and amazing. And the guy is still standing. So, power to him, power to his family. And I wish him nothing but the best. Thank you again. Thank you to Utesa, Bule, and Ukokono Zizwe for their immense contribution. Please like, share, and subscribe. This podcast is available on all major streaming services. Our Facebook page is at 1730media. See you on the next episode. And in closing. The one question I, I, 
I always ask myself is, if not me, then who did I expect this death to happen to? It's not nice, yes, but there could be people that are far worse. These kids that are left that we have to look after, at least they've got us. Some kids may not even have people that to look up to, to look after them, you know, to take care of them and stuff. So if not my family, who did I want this to happen to? You know, it's not fair, it's God's doing. There's absolutely nothing any one of us could have done to prevent this from happening. It has happened, just need to make peace about it, you know, try not to dwell on it and feel sorry and what if, what that, you know. Um, I learned I learned that with my mom in 2013 when she passed on, whereby I was like, I wish I could have done this, I wish I could, you know, until I was, you know, I came by ICAS to say, look, the truth of the matter is you didn't. So the little that you did, look at the things that you have done for her that are positive and say, at least I managed to buy a bedroom suit, I managed to build a house or something, you know, those are positives. Yes, we always going to have regrets or wishes that, you know, could have done a lot more.